Let me pray and then I'll read our passage for tonight, which is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. First, let me pray. Father, we're so thankful that you are a God who speaks, and in your great mercy you have given us ears to hear. As we turn now to these words, the final verses of 1 Peter, we remember that they are your inspired word, and we pray that by your Spirit you would give us ears to hear and minds to understand, hearts to love the gospel that is proclaimed in these verses. We commit this time to you and pray that you would change us for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, the last verses of this book that we've been studying over the course of this year. Starting in verse 12, by Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Stand firm. Stand firm. What comes to your mind when you think of someone standing firm? A few things come to my mind. I think of the epic battle scenes from Tolkien's Middle Earth. If you're familiar with the Lord of the Rings... The shining armies of the king stand firm as the orcs of Mordor rush upon them. I think of, if you're a football fan, I think of the defensive line standing firm against the rush of the opposing team. I think of playing at the beach and playing in the waves when you desperately try to stand your ground as wave after wave pounds you and tosses you about. Stand firm. In my Bible reading this week, I read a story, a familiar story, and I think it really captures what Peter probably had in mind when he wrote, Stand Firm. I was reading in the book of Daniel, and I read the story of how Nebuchadnezzar set up an image of gold. As you may remember, he commanded his officials to fall down in worship, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood firm. We will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Stand firm. Peter has in mind the flames of persecution. He has in mind the roar of your adversary, the lion. The reviling of the world. The sorrow of unjust suffering. We are chosen exiles living in Babylon. This world is not our true home. We will endure hardship for the sake of Christ, our King. And Peter says, stand firm. Stand firm. What we'll see in these closing verses is this. You're not called to stand firm on the shifting sand of your own strength. You're called to stand firm on the bedrock of God's grace. We'll also see that you're not called to stand alone. 
You have a church family. And together we share in nothing less than the peace of Christ's salvation. There is so much to glean from these last few verses. There's so much. These verses sum up the good news that we've heard throughout this entire letter. And it's good news that we must believe and we must obey if we as God's people are going to stand firm. Peter begins in verse 12, by Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him. I found this interesting in my study. Silvanus is probably another name for Silas. Silas. Silas was a prophet and a trusted leader of the early church. In this verse, it appears that Silvanus, or Silas, is the courier for Peter's letter. Perhaps he's also served as Peter's secretary and helped to write the letter. We don't know for sure. But Peter says that Silvanus is a faithful brother. So he carries not only Peter's letter, but also his endorsement. As Silas took this letter and read it to God's people, they could trust him and they could trust his interpretation of the letter afterwards. If you let a Q&A after reading the letter... Peter is assuring God's people, you can trust him to interpret this letter for you. Peter says, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. This is the true grace of God. What do you think Peter has in mind when he says the true grace of God? Where have we seen sightings of God's grace in this letter? Let me quickly review the nine other times when Peter uses the actual word grace in this letter. A quick review. This is sightings of the word grace. So first, as Peter opens his letter, he writes, May grace be multiplied to you. He, call, he says that the prophets of old prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. Peter calls you to set your hope on future grace, the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When a Christian endures sorrows while suffering unjustly, when you do good and you suffer for it and you endure, what's on display? What Peter says is that what's on display is a gracious thing. This is the grace of God. Husbands, your wives are heirs with you of the grace of life. We see God's grace in the gifts of his people. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God opposes the proud, but what does he give to the humble? Grace. And finally, after you have suffered a little while, who will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you? The God of all grace. So when Peter says, this is the true grace of God, what's he referring to? What's he referring to? He's used the word grace in many different ways throughout this letter. What's he referring to? <clears throat> it seems that Peter's referring to the whole letter with a wide-angle lens. He's panning out 
and he's referring to all of it, all of his exhortations, all of his declarations, and he's saying, all that I've written to you can be summed up in this phrase. This is the true grace of God. This is the true grace of God. I want us to think together about the true grace of God that we've seen in this letter. Uh, So much could be said. If we wanted to, we could simply read the whole letter and think about it in terms of this is the true grace of God. I'll just give a few highlights. So a few highlights from the book that we've studied over this past year. So at the beginning, as Peter opens his letter, he reminds us that we're elect exiles. As spiritual foreigners, this world is not our true home. Why not? At the very beginning, Peter says, because God chose us. We're his elect people. He says, before time began, God foreknew you and loved you with an everlasting love. By his spirit, you have been sanctified or set apart, made perfect. By the blood of his son, you have been sprinkled clean from your sins. So you, Christian, foreknown, sanctified, sprinkled clean. What is this? This is the grace of God. According to God's great mercy, Peter wrote that he has caused us to be born again. We were spiritually dead, but now we're alive. We've been born again to a living hope because Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Our inheritance is being kept for us until the last day when our salvation is fully revealed. Peter says we don't see Jesus now, but we love him and we believe in him and we're obtaining even now, today, the outcome of our faith. We are being saved this very day. What is this? What is this? This is the grace of God. Once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. We are God's chosen race, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, a people for his own possession. And to what end? So that we who once profaned his name might now proclaim his excellencies. He has called us out of darkness, and this very night we stand in his marvelous light. What is this? What is this? This is the grace of God. And when you suffer unjustly and endure the sorrow, when you do good and suffer for it and endure, when you are reviled and don't revile in return, when you suffer but trust God who judges justly, what is this? What is this? This is the grace of God. The grace of God on display in your life. Christ, Peter says, bore your sins on the tree so that you might die to sin and live to righteousness. Your life to righteousness is the grace of God. And as we've seen in this letter, suffering is not the end of the road for God's people. Peter tells us that Christ was put to death in the flesh, but he's now alive. He has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Peter wrote in this letter, all all angels, all authorities, all powers have been subjected to him. So for Jesus, suffering gave way to glory, and in the same way, your suffering will give way to glory, unimaginable glory. So what is this, brothers and sisters? What is this? 
glory for, for us, for you. This is the grace of God. It's the grace of God. So much more could be said. That's just a few highlights from the letter. But the point is this. Stand firm in it. Stand firm in the grace of God. In other words, believe these things to be true and faithfully follow in the steps of your Savior. You have been born again. You are guarded by God's power. Christ rose from the grave. You are called to share in Christ's sufferings. Jesus will return in glory. And on and on and on. Stand firm, brothers and sisters, in the true grace of God. Why does Peter find it so important to close his letter in this way? Why is it so important to him that his last words are stand firm? It's so important to him because he knows that you will endure hardship in some way, shape, and form for the sake of Christ your King. In some way, you will face flames of persecution, the roar of your adversary, the lion the reviling of the world, the sorrow of suffering unjustly for Christ's sake. Remember, we are elect exiles. We're exiles. In his book, Strange New World, which we studied this past fall, Carl Truman writes, the era when Christians could disagree with the broader convictions of the secular world and yet still find themselves respected as decent members of society at large That era is coming to an end, if indeed it has not ended already. The truth is that the last vestiges of a social imaginary shaped by Christianity are rapidly vanishing, and many of us, even now, are living as strangers in a strange new world. We are strangers. We are elect exiles in this world. It's a theme that has come up again and again in this letter, and Here, in these closing verses, Peter mentions it, or alludes to it, once more. In verse 13, Peter writes, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen. She who is at Babylon. Who is at where? She who is at Babylon. Peter's probably referring here to the church of Rome. In other words, the church who is at Rome, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. But why did Peter use the word Babylon? It's not because he needed a secret password. It's not because he needed to get past some ancient Gestapo. He didn't need to use this word, but it's loaded with symbolic significance. That's why he chose this word. Babylon, in the Old Testament, was the place of exile the place of exile, going all the way back to Genesis. Like Peter and the church of Rome, we too are chosen exiles living in Babylon. And until you are brought to your true home, Peter is saying, stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm in the true grace of God. This letter closes with two 
very practical application. There are two practical applications as we seek, as God's people, to stand firm in the true grace of God. And in our context of gathered worship, at least a proclamation, not speaking for other churches, but at least for our church, both of these applications actually involve standing. So, first, greet one another like family. And second, receive the Lord's benediction. Let me explain. First, greet one another with family-like affection. Greet one another like family. Listen again to verses 13 and 14. This has been a glorious and weighty letter. Peter knows that he's writing to people who are suffering. Here's what he says. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. So does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. First, notice the encouragement that's baked into these words. You do not stand alone. You're not alone. Peter stood with Mark and a church at Rome. And in the same way, you link arms with a church family who is striving in the same way to stand firm. You do not stand alone. And when is it most apparent that you do not stand alone? When is it most obvious? Oh, I'm not alone. Well, gather worship. Gather worship. Gather worship was most likely the setting for Peter's command here. When he says, greet one another with a kiss of love, he's thinking gathered worship. Greet one another in this way. So greeting one another with the kiss of love was designed for gathered worship. The point more so than how we do it. The point is that the church is to show physically that it is the family of God. The church is to show that we are family. We are to show that we love each other like family. An observer should look at our interactions at gathered worship and say, huh, they're like family. They really love each other. They want to be with each other. They're glad to see each other. So Peter is saying, share the love, brothers and sisters. Greet one another with the kiss of love, with the affection of family. Let me ask you all, what practical expression do you give to this instruction? Greet one another with the kiss of love. On Sundays... I think one practical expression of this can be passing the peace. Passing the peace is an opportunity for all of us to greet one another as church family. Now, every family's different. Becky's family is so physically affectionate, overwhelmingly so. Um, so every family's different. And in the same way, each person, part of this church family is different. So for you, it might just be a warm smile and a wave from a distance. Um, Maybe for you, it's a handshake or a hug. Today, I saw someone giving someone a kiss on the cheek. They're not related, but I saw saw someone give someone a kiss. So whatever, whatever it might be, 
regardless of how, of how you express it, and regardless of whether you greet one person or 20 people, I know Troy makes a, a big laugh and greets just about everyone that he can. For you, it might be one person. But the point is, however many people it is, and however you express it, show that you love your brothers and sisters. Greet one another. You are church family. You do not stand alone. So in a culturally appropriate way, show that you love your church family. Do you want to stand firm in the true grace of God? When it's that time in gathered worship, I encourage you to stand up and pass the peace. Greet one another. Stand up and share the love. Your weekly greeting of others and their greeting of you will help you to stand firm. So the first very practical application is greet one another like family, with family-like affection. That's the first application that literally involves standing, at least a proclamation. We stand up and greet one another. We pass the peace. The second application is this. Receive the Lord's benediction. Receive the Lord's benediction. Peter concludes his letter with a benediction, and I've purposefully ended our services over the past year with this benediction. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Now, it takes about three seconds or less to say that. So what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Well, let me ask it this way. Think about a wedding ceremony. It only takes a few seconds for a minister to say, by the authority vested in me, I pronounce you man and wife. So what's the big deal? The big deal is that the minister, by using those words, declares a new reality. This man and this woman are now married. They're now one. And he uses those words to declare that reality. So don't miss the significance of the last three seconds of a gathered worship service. The benediction is like the icing on the cake. It's the moment we've been waiting for. The benediction pronounces how things really are for God's people. By the authority vested in me, I pronounce you blessed. In the benediction, the heavens open and God declares what's true for all who are in Christ. What's true for you, Christian? What's the reality for all who have admitted that they are sinners, who believe that Christ is their Savior and who have committed their lives to following Him? What's true for all, as we heard this morning, for all who have said, I'm sorry, thank you for Jesus, help me to follow Him? What's true? What's true is this. Peace. 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 Yes, you are a chosen exile living in Babylon. But the flames of persecution, the roar of the lion, the reviling of the world around us, the sorrow of unjust suffering, none of it can overthrow peace with God. None of it can overthrow peace with God. Babylon, if you will, can't overthrow the shalom of Christ's kingdom. Babylon can't do it. Whatever you hear on this earth, what you hear from heaven matters most. And the word from heaven to you right now, living in this world, is this. Peace. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So, brothers and sisters, receive the Lord's benediction. 
When you're invited to stand for the benediction, stand up if you're able and believe once again that it's true. Listen to God's pronouncement from heaven and trust that it's true. This day you are at peace with God through Jesus Christ. And the day is coming when you will enjoy God's peace in the new heavens and earth. Do you want to stand firm in the true grace of God? When it's that time in gathered worship, stand up and receive the Lord's benediction. You'll find that not only greeting your church family, but receiving the benediction week after week after week will help you to stand firm, to stand firm in the true grace of God. So let's come full circle. What comes to your mind when you think of someone standing firm? I think of our Proclamation Church family. I'm surrounded by fellow elect exiles who, by God's grace, are standing firm. I'm surrounded by fellow Babylonian exiles like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who are standing up and walking in the midst of fire. So as we close this sermon series in 1 Peter, brothers and sisters, let's stand, stand firm in the true grace of God. During weekly gathered worship, let's stand firm by standing up, standing up and greeting one another and receiving the Lord's benediction. The day is coming when Babylon will fall and will be home forever. The day is coming when the church throughout all of history will greet one another. The day is coming when we will see Jesus and hear him say to us, peace. Until that day, may we stand firm in the true grace of God. Amen.